Well, good morning. If you've got your Bible with you, I've got mine. Open up to John chapter 16. The story goes, wealthy businessman working into the Middle East, and he happens across the woman of his future. In his words, it was love at first sight. So much so that he decided, you know what, every time I'm in that area, I'm just going to make sure that my, my paths cross with her. And one thing led to another, and they fell head over heels in love with one another. To the point where this man is eventually, he's down on his knees in front of this love of his life, asking her to be his wife. And the first time in their relationship, he suddenly sees that she's backing off a little bit. And so he wants to find out, like, okay, what's, what's going on here? You know, the, the right answer is yes, not, um, um, and so he presses the issue, and she tries to stall and tries to get around the thing, and eventually she gushes, she says, I, I don't know how to tell you, but a few years ago, I was at my end, and I gave myself to being a lady of the night, and she said it was the worst decision she'd ever made, but she lives with the guilt and shame all these years. And she, she knows that he deserves better. And of course, he stands up and just lavishes her with his love, just like we've sung, coming after her, to the point where she eventually gives in and acquiesces and says, yes, I'll be your wife. She tells the story of how the moment comes, she's standing on uh, the pier, the ship is sailing out, and fear and trepidation grips her because right after saying yes, he had to break his bad news to her, and that was the fact that business was calling him away, as it often did into different countries. But this one was going to be a long one, but he was going to wrap things up, and that would allow him to settle down, and they would get married, they'd build a family and a future together. But she was standing there as he went out of the harbor, wondering, see, I wonder if that wasn't just you know, a gentleman's way of getting out of this. And one day led to a week, led to a month, and this was before cell phones and emails and WhatsApps. And eventually she got to the place after like 50 days where she just thought, you know what, nothing's going to come of this. I've got to resign myself to the fact that, you know, it could have been, but it shouldn't have been, and so it wouldn't be. And then a gift arrived for her. It's not an ordinary gift. It's called a matan. See, a matan in the ancient Near East was often given specifically for situations and circumstances like this because... It was tradition, as we read in Scripture, as Jesus alludes to, you know, they, uh, a bridegroom will go away to prepare a place for his bride, and then would come back and fetch her when everything's ready, just like in this story. And what would happen was they would send a matan because you know, other suitors would come around and go like, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think you deserve better. Or insecurities would come in. So it was tradition to give a matan. A matan is kind of where we get an engagement ring from, but it's weightier than that. Once you had received a matan, if you broke off the relationship, you had to get a divorce. It was that kind of a weighty moment. And the matan arrives. And I want to show you what this matan looked like. Take a look at this. That is the pink star. A 60-carat diamond ring. Flawless. In today's uh, price... $71 million. That is 1.3 billion rands on her finger. Can you imagine what happened in that lady's heart? If he loves me that much, he is my beloved and I am his. Settled, sorted, done and dusted. It's a gift. It's a, essentially, it's a gift of the, his covenant love for her. Number four, I lose all the ladies. 
That is a modern parable of an ancient practice, an ancient Jewish practice that is actually birthed in the heart of God for his people right at the very beginning. When the nation of Israel was born, God rescued his people. You might remember in the Old Testament, he rescues them out of slavery under Pharaoh, the 10 plagues, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and he brings them out into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And what happens there is they gather around this mountain called Sinai. God makes a covenant with them and gives them the law. And to the Jews, the law is referred to as the Matan Torah, the gift of the law. It was just like that beautiful ring to them. And it is so significant, the giving of the Matan to the people of God, where he said, I'm your God and you will be mine, that they celebrate the giving of the Matan Torah every single year, 50 days after their freedom. So they celebrate Passover, and 50 days later, they celebrate the giving of the Matan. It's called the Feast of Shavuot. And at the Feast of Shavuot, they're giving one another gifts, but they're remembering what happened way back there. And they've done it every single year since probably three and a half odd thousand years ago. Every single year. But now if you fast forward to the ultimate Passover, instead of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, we have the lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world on a cross, the ultimate Passover. 50 days later, in Jerusalem, they were once again celebrating the feast of Shavuot, and that is the day that Jesus gave his bride a matan. That's on the day of the feast of Shavuot, that is the day Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his matan, his gift of his covenant love for you. Now, it's so important that you understand that. Because of the verse that I'm going to ground today in, we have to understand the Holy Spirit is the gift of Jesus' covenant love for you when we read John 16, verse 7. Very familiar verse, but I don't know if you know the next verse. Verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You've heard that before, right? For if I don't go away, he's going away to prepare a place for us. The helper, the, the Holy Spirit, the Matan will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why? Do you know why? Verse 8. Because when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, why do you need to know that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' matan to you, the gift of his covenant love? Because unless you know that when we read something like, he will convict the world of its sin. All you think of is judgment, condemnation. He's going to be so disappointed in me. And we don't realize, no, 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 he's coming after you. He's coming after you. The reason why he convicts of sin is because he wants to get into those deep, dark recesses of your heart. And he wants to deal with whatever comes between you and him, those other suitors. He, want to, he wants to turn your head back to him. He wants all of you. And he wants to give you all of himself. He is the Holy Spirit. But he is also the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at that. What does it mean? What does it mean for a community in the city of Pretoria to go through a series on the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that this Holy Spirit is given to us so that he will convict us of our sin, of God's righteousness and God's judgment? How, how do we work that out while he's also God's covenant 
gift of love to us? How do we hold that intention? And to answer that, we're going to take a look at an entire chapter of Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's why I brought my iPad Pro Max this morning. We're going to work through this whole thing, but you can turn there if you want to, if you take your notes. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to pursue our hearts, to deal with these things that will draw us away from Him? and for him to constantly be coming after us. Let's take a look. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now this verse here is just loaded with tension. Okay, It begins there, in the spring when kings march out to war. We have cricket season, rugby season. They had war season. <laughs> but this verse is written in such a way that, that Scripture is meant to do to us what Steven Spielberg did to us when he did... Dun, dun. <laughs> the tension in here, we kind of miss it because of the context. And we're thousands of years later, but it's... Dun, dun. There's something in the water here. When, when the, the original readers would read this, they're going like, we need the Spirit of God. Something's lurking. There's danger here because he, he uses this word that says, David sent Joab. And we all see throughout this chapter, sent, 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 sent. There's this dotted line that he's joining here as David gets deeper and deeper into a hole. And then it says that David remained in Jerusalem. If In those days, if a war was worth fighting, the king was on the front lines. Not like today where Putin sits in the Kremlin and barks commands. They, if it was worth fighting, he would be on the front lines. So they, they are going, dun, dun. It's like, Lord, um, going on here? We, we need you here. Our king needs you. And this is why. Verse 2. If you don't know the story, one evening David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. A very beautiful woman. Descendant of my wife. Obviously. So David sent someone to inquire about her and he said, this is the guy coming back, says, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite, David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. Bathsheba conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Do you see the Holy Spirit in there? All over, line by line. We, we miss it because our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that we get this warm, fuzzy feeling, and we break out in tongues and maybe fall over. But the Holy Spirit is in every single line there, and I want to show you how he is busy and how he is busy with you and I. So the, the first thing I want to draw out of here, there's this statement that I heard, and I could not believe I heard a pastor preach it. He, he, he read this, and he said the following. He says, you know what? You must understand that David is not the only guilty party here. I mean, but Sheba's a bit of a temptress, you know? I mean, she's bathing outside. At just the time when the king walks along the veranda, and she's like, yeah, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, this, this Uriah guy is a bit of a loser. I deserve better. What about? But you see, right there, and the reason why I was so shocked to hear a pastor saying that, is right there is the very DNA of sin. The first thing sin does, it's not my fault, Lord, you wanted to give me such a beautiful secretary. It's her fault. You wanted to put me in the second row while she's worshiping, lifting arms, and that dress is good. 
But, but look at this. It's not Bathsheba on the roof. It's David on the roof. The king was the only one who was allowed to live in a building higher than anyone else. And it was, I suppose, because you could scout the land, but you could also look down on the lesser people. And that's exactly what he was doing. Looking, look at what I've created. Well, he was meant to be at war. But also, you know, we say, well, she was bathing outside. You know, that's a little untoward and becoming of a lady. They didn't have indoor plumbing. But look, notice the fact that it says there, um, she'd been purifying herself from uncleanness. This lady was actually preparing herself for worship. So it was required by law at certain times of the month, ladies needed to wash themselves before going into the temple to worship. That's what she was busy doing. She wasn't seducing the king. And he was a king. And when the king calls, you go or you die. It's an easy decision to make. But most importantly, Scripture does not say that she was a temptress or an adulteress. And, and Scripture is not shy in calling a spade a spade. All the way through this narrative, she is referred to as Uriah's wife. And it's so important that you get that because right at the very beginning of this journey is an option to blame or to take responsibility for our sin. The Holy Spirit starts right there. And if you find yourself saying, yeah, but my wife's been a little cold to me of late. Oh, yeah, but you don't understand the stress and pressure that I've been under. I deserve another beer. Right there. So the Holy Spirit is speaking. You're saying, Bathsheba was a temptress. I'll add this for free. I heard um, Robert Morris preaching on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You might know the verse where it talks about, he says, uh, Jesus is preaching and he says, you know, you say, the Lord says, do not commit adultery. But if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. And Robert says the following. He says, notice that you've got looking You've got lusting, and then you've got like, losing the, the plot. So look at these, these three L's. Looking, then lusting, then losing the plot. And he says this. He says, before adultery is ever in our hearts, it's in our eyes. David's looking. You're looking, sir. You're looking at her legs, or you're looking at someone's uh, promotion, or you're looking at the neighbor's new car, or you're looking at your friend's husband, but it starts in looking. And he says a lot of the time he has young men coming, uh, uh, Pastor Robert, you know, I've, uh, I've got a problem with lust. He says, no, you don't have a problem with lust. You have a problem with looking. Deal with the looking, and the lust never arrives. And then we never lose the plot. That was for free. Someone here needs to hear that. Holy Spirit speaks. David, you're looking. He saw, but he looked. Verse 3, so David sent someone to inquire about her. What does he do? He doesn't go like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, I stopped. I looked. I looked. I looked. And I, oh, I'm so sorry. No, he doesn't do that. He sends. David sent someone to inquire about her. And when he came back, he says, now, imagine, I don't know if this was a messenger, one of his bodyguards or whatever, but it, you know, we can't read tone in there. But if you look at context, he's essentially saying, um, <clears throat> Mr. the King, sir, <laughs> isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uh, she's out of bounds. He dare not say that, off with your head, but that's what he's trying to say. She's, that's a no-go zone, Mr. the King. Because, he says, Daughter of Elam, he was one of David's mighty men. There were uh, 37 of them, 
So he would know them by name. They would be, their responsibility was to protect the life of the king. It's his daughter, wife of Uriah. Uriah was also one of the mighty men. It's the reason why they lived right around the palace. They were the first line of defense. And I'm sure he said the wife, <laughs> wife of Uriah. And we know because of the backstory here that she's also the granddaughter of Ahithophel, which is one of his closest advisors. The Bible actually says Ahithophel's word to David was like the word of the Lord. So it's right here, right here. It's like me and one of Rory's kids. It's that close. She is off limits. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience, sometimes through community. Sometimes through a comment. And he speaks, and we don't hear him. He goes, no, 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 the Holy Spirit is No, the Holy Spirit is a whisper coming after you. But Sheba Conceived and sent word, this is verse 5. As she was conceived and sent word to inform David, I'm pregnant. Sin committed in secret never stays in secret. My wife's got a lovely clangor. The truth always comes out. Sits with our kids. The truth always comes out. Sits with her husband. The truth (laughs) always comes out. So what will he do? Sometimes we're confronted Sometimes it's just a conviction. Sometimes it's just a comment. But what, what will he do? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've done something, said something, agreed to something, signed off something, uh, paid something, and now there's consequences. Because the Holy Spirit speaks through consequences. I remember in grade four, praying that Jesus would come back before they announced the fact that I nearly failed standard two. I'm like, Jesus... Now's a good time to come back. What do we do when there's consequences? Does the king repent? Do you come clean? Do you respond to the Holy Spirit and say, this far, no further? No. Verse 6, David sent. See it? David sent orders to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. <laughs> go enjoy what's on offer there. He's, he's lying. He's re-betraying Uriah. There's, there's deceit here. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. I felt this morning in preparing for today, I felt there would be someone here. You have made a deal. You've come to an agreement. You've signed something, but it doesn't quite look like it's going to go your way. And so you have decided, I'm going to send a little bit of a gift. Sweeten the pot. And the Spirit of God says to you, stop. Do not do it. James talks about uh, this lust in the eyes, this desire, which gives birth to this fleshly decision whose end is death. And I feel that whoever you are, the end is death. Verse 9, But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He didn't go down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, Haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go? Uriah answered David, The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? That must have cut. It's fine. I've taken care of that, Uriah. 
Welcome to church, teenagers. As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. See, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us by someone else's convictions. You know, Rory gets up and he says, oh, I met this guy and we, we gave, I spoke to the team and we felt to give like 20,000 rand. And he's just like, no, you know, 20,000 rand. You know, just, just wind your neck in Rory. It's not Rory the Holy Spirit is after. It's the stinginess in your heart he's after. Beautiful. You know, you go and you have dinner and you know, this guy is loving on his wife and you think like, oh, just stop it. There's nothing you need to prove. He's not going after that relationship. He's going after your relationship because the Holy Spirit is just, just this whispering, whispering. He's coming after you. <laughs> so what does he do? Does he humble himself? Does he humble himself before one of his servants? No. Verse 12, stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. Beware of friends who like to get you drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down in his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. What do we learn here? Is our efforts to cover sin only ever leads to more sin. The only thing that stops the trajectory of sin is repentance. But it's in the heart of mankind to hide, to scheme, to deceive. And it's in the heart of the Spirit to call us back over and over and over again. Verse 14, the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Now just picture that in your mind. Busy working with a group of young men and explaining how letters were written in the ancient Near East. And it always required a scribe. The scribe would come with this wax tablet and he'd take some notes and then he'd go back and he'd sort of put it together and then he'd bring it back and say, hey David, you know, uh, is this right? Is this what you wanted to say? So it's highly, highly likely that David would have had to jump this because he didn't want anyone else except Joab to see what he was about to write in this letter because he thought, you know what, I've got a plan and it's going to be such a good plan no one is going to know. He didn't realize that 3,000 years later, 2,500 people would be sitting here here on a Sunday morning talking about what he had done with that ship and the life that he was about to take. <laughs> See, because sin says, no, 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 we just, we just cover it over. So think of the decision process to get to that point. It is exactly the same decision process you went through when you stood in front of your cupboard and you thought, I'm going to wear that skirt because it's a little bit shorter with those high heels because they're a little bit higher. That will get his attention. Same decision process. Same decision process when you thought, ah, I wonder what my former girlfriend was doing while you're scrolling through Facebook. Same decision process when you decided to have another drink. Answer that WhatsApp. Slam the door and walk out and not resolve the argument. Turn over at night and pretend like you're asleep. It's the same decision process. Right at the very root is sin. And it will have you. And right in that very situation is the Holy Spirit who's calling you back and coming after you. And so David, the next morning, wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. From looking, it's just looking. Boys will be boys. To the letter, 
He broke five of the Ten Commandments. He coveted, he lied, he stole, committed adultery, adultery orchestrated murder between the, the looking and the letter. <laughs> I heard a statement, we can choose our sin, but you can't choose our consequences. And every step of the way, the Holy Spirit is there providing an off-ramp. Every step of the way. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David sent for her and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. The entire chapter is written. The entire account is documented before the very first mention of the Lord appears in this chapter. Because that's what it takes. It's what it takes to get us from looking to this letter. It takes you and I going, Lord, I've got this. It's not so bad. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> but mind your own business. While we're pulling ourselves away from the matan, we're saying, you know, that, that, actually there's a sweeter deal over there. If you can just let me go, I can. And he's constantly, he's like, but I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. It's not too late. It's not too late. There's always redemption. Always restoration, which is why verse 1 of the next chapter, we'll close here. So the Lord sent. <laughs> the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. I'd always looked at that terrified. It's like, shh, shh. <laughs> we got some splendid to do. But look at who he sends. The Lord sent Nathan the assassin. It's not before, it's not before you got the green light and the king. <laughs> or the police or a judge. He doesn't even send someone who's orchestrating a coup. That's what I would have done to me. Like, you know what? You are such a chop. You're done. Ministry over, calling finished. Your wife, I'm going to hand her to another man. Your kid's a better father. You're just a useless specimen of humanity. But what does he do? He sends Nathan the prophet. Do you know who the prophet represented in the Old Testament? One guess, the Holy Spirit. The responsibility of a prophet was to come as a reminder of God's covenant love for his people. That wherever they had begun to drift away, he would come and close the gap. That was the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. To remind them that the heart of the Father is coming after you. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to face the consequences. You don't have to. You can stop right now, which is what we find with Nathan the prophet. Gets to the point and says, you are that man. And immediately David repents. Finally, the Holy Spirit was allowed to speak to his heart. And that is why the Bible says Jesus had to go away because he wanted to send the Matah. Because his people need his very presence, the Holy Spirit who comes after us, convicting us of sin, not to disqualify, but to drag us back into his presence, to remove whatever separates us. But I want to leave you with three observations to hopefully anchor something of, of your thought patterns, your musings, your meditations through this week. Three observations from this, and here's the first. Why does the Holy Spirit come like that? Well, simply because of the destructive nature of sin. 
just like you wouldn't want destruction for your wife, for your girlfriend, your fiance, husband, kids, neither does your heavenly father. So because of the destructive nature, but the corrosive, progressive nature of sin, it always goes from looking to the letter. That is the nature of sin. And so he wants to come in between that as quickly as possible. Maturity is not that we don't sin. Maturity is the gap between sinning and repenting. That's spiritual maturity. And so the Holy Spirit has given us, because of the destructive nature of sin, that thing that you're dabbling with, that thing that seems okay, that you're explaining away, He wants to remove it because it will have you. And instead, He wants you. I mean, just think about the fact that this is King David who made that mess. The Bible talks about him as being a man after God's own heart. He's a hero in the Old Testament and the New. If you ever go to Israel, you will walk down King David Boulevard and stay at King David Hotel and eat at King David Restaurant. He's a hero. A man after God's own heart. And he made that mess, which should tell you and I, we desperately need to have our hearts open, soft towards the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He has to lead us. He has to draw us, convict us. You know, Rory said something very interesting last Sunday. He said, going into a a series on the Holy Spirit, the back of his mind is going, "Mm, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, in the past, I don't know if you've been in the city of late, over the last 10, 20 years, whenever preaching on the Holy Spirit happens, there's shaking and rolling and crying and laughing. And and, I mean, I've been in, in church services where there's been flakes of gold dust and feathers. And, and like these supernatural moments. And he said something interesting. He said, you know what? He's come to realize what's happening. The revival that's happening is in here. Because the Holy Spirit has been doing this. He's just been bringing us back to the Father. And he said he's been dealing with whatever keeps us away from the presence, the purposes, and the plans of God. He said, that's, that's what I think he's doing. And he's exactly right. He's convicting us of sin. He's cleansing the temple. He's drawing his people back. Because of the destructive nature of sin. It's not just a look. It's your life. Secondly, because of the disarming pursuit of God. I love looking at this text because I just see God's grace on display. Over and over and over again. Off ramp, off ramp, off ramp. Get out of jail free, off ramp. We see the soldiers, we see the servants, we see his conscience, the consequences. We see Uriah's loyalty, his feistiness to remain pure. We see Nathan, the prophet of Israel, over and over and over again. That is why the Holy Spirit comes. He is, I think it's Smith Wigglesworth that talks about him as being the, the hound of heaven. He's coming after you. I love that Kai did that this morning. Because that's exactly what the scripture is going after. He's coming after you. So firstly, the destructive nature of sin Secondly, the disarming pursuit of God. And thirdly, and the most importantly, the default of wearing new shoes. Just needed to get your attention. <laughs> the default of wearing new shoes. I, I, I have the privilege of doing a, like, kind of a Bible study through this year with a group of young men, young lions, students. And we've been going through the whole of, of the Old Testament and into the New just unpacking the meta-narrative. And one of the guys kept saying, sure, nice shoes, but nice shoes, eh? And the next Friday morning, he's like, hey, nice shoes. And I accidentally said, you know what? When I get dressed, I start by the shoes that I want to wear. My shoes, like my wife found out this morning, dictate the rest of my wardrobe. 
I thought that would diffuse the problem, but it didn't. It just made things worse. It's like, mm, no, your shoes, but yeah. And I said, well, one day I'll tell you why, and today's the day. I heard a story of a young man. Uh, he was probably in his early 20s, dating a girl. Things got serious. And he was, a, he was trying to be pure, but, you know, boys will be boys. And crossed the line, got his girlfriend pregnant. And he first started off by going, yeah, but it's okay because you will be my wife one day. But sin has its way. And it just ate him alive to the point where he was actually suicidal. He thought, you know what, I cannot, my parents will find out pretty soon. Let me save them the shame, take my life. And somehow it came out. And he was at home and his, his mom confronted him, uh, lived in a well-to-do apartment. And they were busy having this back and forth. And he was, you know, saying how he doesn't know what to do and he can't. And what if dad finds out when dad walked in? They hadn't heard him arrive home. And now he's like cornered, he's looking at the window, will I fit out of there? And, and his dad is standing right there. And so he's, he says, he tells the story of how his dad comes to him in the face, puts his arm around his shoulder, and he starts walking him out of the house. And he's like, well, this is it, I'm done. So he takes him to the lift, they go downstairs, he walks him out to the street, and turns right and goes into a shoe shop. And his dad stands at the entrance of the shoe shop and he says, you look here, you find the nicest pair of shoes. He said, you wear those every single day. And when they wear out, you tell me and I'll buy you a brand new pair of shoes. And when those wear out, you and he says, and every single day when you look at those shoes, you know you are meant to run to your father, not run away. He said, there's nothing you can do that will turn me and my love against you. And so I put my shoes on first because I desperately need to run to the Father, to be reminded to run to the Father because the default in my heart is to run away. And so the Holy Spirit comes and He runs after you. Why? Because our default is to run away. But I want to remind you, I want to challenge you, I want to charge you. I don't know where you are on the spectrum between looking and the letter. Stop today. Turn and run back. And so I want to ask if you wouldn't mind to stand. If you can. <laughs> and look at your feet. I don't know what shoes you're wearing. Mine are nice. <laughs> and extend your hands towards your feet. Torsten, you can extend your hand to your wheelchair wheels. Heavenly Father. I don't know where these feet have gone. But you, you know, Father. You know where these feet have gone. You know what these hands have done, Father. Oh, Father, please forgive us. Please forgive us, Lord God. Having given us the most precious matan, time and time and time again, we as your people... We've been lured and tempted and we've given over to our stronger desires, not our deepest desires. And so, Father, this morning, I just want to pray for every set of feet here, every set of hands here, every heart, every home. Please forgive us, Lord. Holy Spirit, stop us in our tracks. However we are able to turn, would you turn us? However we are to be redeemed, would you redeem us? However we are to be forgiven, would you forgive us? Hallowed be your name. Forgive us 
our trespasses. And Lord, I pray for these hands and I pray for these feet and I pray for our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you lay a hold of us? Would you be that voice? Would you be that guide? Would you be that Nathan the prophet to us? In Jesus' name.